Welcome to the 411 on a GLP-1. My name is Jim Gavin, and I'm a clinical professor of medicine at Emory University, and I also serve as chief medical officer for Healing Our Village in Atlanta, Georgia. This program is intended for clinicians. The information presented in this podcast is aligned with the views and opinions of the speakers and is sponsored by Novo Nordisk. This podcast is not to be used as medical advice and is intended for educational purposes only. In this podcast, we will discuss how a glucagon-like peptide 1 receptor agonist, or GLP-1-RA, was formulated into an oral pill. We will also review the efficacy, safety, and the dosing instructions for this GLP-1 receptor agonist. I am pleased to be joined today by Drs. Curtis Triplett and Jeff Unger. Curtis, would you introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm Curtis Triplett. I'm an Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of Texas at San Antonio and the Associate Director of Clinical Research for the Diabetes Research Center at the Texas Diabetes Institute, part of the University Health System. Thank you, Curtis. Jeff? Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Jeff Unger. I'm a family physician and a diabetologist, and I direct the Unger Primary Care Concierge Medical Group in sunny Southern California. Welcome to both of you, and thanks for joining me. Before we start our discussion, I'd like to first talk to you about the first and only oral GLP-1 receptor agonist, Rebelsis, also known as semaglutide tablets, seven milligrams or 14 milligrams. Rebelsis is indicated as an adjunct to diet and exercise to improve glycemic control in adults with type two diabetes. Rebelsis is not recommended as a first-line therapy for patients who don't have adequate glycemic control on diet and exercise because of the uncertain relevance of the rodent C-cell tumor findings as they relate to humans. Rebelsis has not been studied in patients with a history of pancreatitis. For patients with a history of pancreatitis, consider a different anti-diabetes therapy and it's not indicated for use in patients with type 1 diabetes. Now, let's go through the important safety information for rebelsis. The boxed warning that accompanies rebelsis talks about the potential risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. In rodents, it has been shown that semaglutide can cause dose-dependent and treatment duration-dependent thyroid C-cell tumors, including medullary thyroid carcinoma, or MTC, at clinically relevant exposures. Because of the uncertain relevance of rodent studies with humans, rebelsis is contraindicated in patients with a personal or a family history of MTC and in patients with multiple endocrine neoplasia syndrome type 2, or MEN2. While you should counsel your patients about the warning and symptoms of thyroid tumors, you don't need to proactively draw calcitonin levels or do ultrasound of the neck. However, due to this risk, 
Patients should be further evaluated if their serum calcitonin is measured and found to be elevated or thyroid nodules are noted on physical examination or neck imaging. Rabelsus is also contraindicated in patients with a prior serious hypersensitivity reaction to semaglutide or to any of the excipients in rebelsis. Serious hypersensitivity reactions, including anaphylaxis and angioedema, have been reported with rebelsis. Pancreatitis has been reported in clinical trials, so you need to monitor patients. I educate them about signs and symptoms of pancreatitis, such as severe abdominal pain, particularly if it's persistent, radiating to the back, and which may or may not be accompanied by vomiting. If pancreatitis is suspected, discontinue rebelsis and initiate appropriate management. If pancreatitis is confirmed, do not restart rebelsis. In a pooled analysis of glycemic control trials with rebelsis, 4.2% of patients reported diabetic retinopathy-related adverse reactions compared to 3.8% with Comparator. In another two-year trial with semaglutide injection involving patients with type 2 diabetes and high cardiovascular risk, more events of diabetic retinopathy complications occurred in patients treated with semaglutide injection at 3% compared to 1.8% with placebo. The absolute risk was larger in the patients who had previous diabetic retinopathy. Rapid improvement in glucose control has been associated with a temporary worsening of diabetic retinopathy. Patients with a history of diabetic retinopathy should be monitored for progression of diabetic retinopathy. Patients receiving rebelsis in combination with an insulin secretagogue, for example, sulfonylurea or insulin, may have an increased risk of hypoglycemia, including severe hypoglycemia. Inform patients using these concomitant medications of the risk of hypoglycemia and educate them on the signs and symptoms of hypoglycemia. There have been post-marketing reports of acute kidney injury and worsening of chronic renal failure, sometimes even requiring hemodialysis in patients treated with GLP-1 receptor agonists, including semaglutide. Some of these events have been reported in patients without known underlying renal disease. So those are the patients. You know who they are in your practice, with whom you're going to talk about hydration. You're going to make sure if they have gastrointestinal or GI side effects, they're going to call you back because people with chronic renal failure can have a worsening of their renal function and acute kidney injury if they experience nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, and volume depletion. There are even instances where people without 
pre-existing renal impairment can suffer acute damage under these conditions. So we need to monitor renal function when initiating or escalating the dose of rebelsis for patients experiencing severe GI reactions. Serious hypersensitivity reactions, such as anaphylaxis and angioedema, have been reported in patients treated with rebelsis. If hypersensitivity reactions occur, discontinue use of rebelsis. Treat promptly per standard of care and monitor until signs and symptoms resolve. Use caution in a patient with a history of angioedema or anaphylaxis with another GLP-1 receptor agonist. Acute events of gallbladder disease, such as cholelithiasis or cholecystitis, have been reported in GLP-1 receptor agonist trials and post-marketing. In placebo-controlled trials, cholelithiasis was reported in 1% of patients treated with rebelsis 7 milligrams. Cholelithiasis was not reported in rebelsis 14 milligrams or placebo-treated patients. If cholelithiasis is suspected, gallbladder studies and appropriate clinical follow-up are indicated. The most frequently reported adverse reactions occurring in 5% or more of rebelsis-treated patients were GI-related, nausea, abdominal pain, diarrhea, decreased appetite, vomiting, and constipation. Patients who receive rebelsis in combination with an insulin secretagogue like a sulfonylurea or an insulin may be at an increased risk of hypoglycemia. Therefore, consider reducing the dose of concomitantly administered insulin secretagogue such as sulfonylurea or insulin to reduce this risk. Rebelsis delays gastric emptying, so there is a concern of impacting the absorption of other oral medications. Closely follow Rebelsis administration instructions when co-administering with other medications and consider increased monitoring for medications with a narrow therapeutic index, such as levothyroxine. Available data with Rebelsis are not sufficient to determine a drug-associated risk for major birth defects, miscarriage, or other adverse maternal or fetal outcomes. Based on animal reproduction studies, there may be risks to the fetus from exposure to rebelsis. Use only if the potential benefit justifies the potential risk to the fetus. There are no data on the presence of semaglutide in human milk, the effects on the breastfed infant, or milk production. Because of the unknown potential for serious adverse reactions in the breastfed infant due to possible accumulation of snack, which is the absorption enhancer that is co-formulated with semaglutide, advise patients that breastfeeding is not recommended while taking rebelsis. You also want to have pre-pregnancy planning, 
so that any woman contemplating pregnancy stops rebelsis at least two months before their planned pregnancy to account for the long washout period for semaglutide. It's also important to note the safety and efficacy of rebelsis hasn't been established in pediatric patients younger than age 18 years old. For more information and to access the rebelsis prescribing information, including boxed warning, please visit rebelsispro.com or see your Novo Nordisk representative. Now, as I said, Rebelsus is the first and only oral GLP-1 receptor agonist. Frankly, this is really exciting technology, and it was a long time coming. So let's talk about the journey of how we got from an injectable GLP-1 receptor agonist to an oral GLP-1 RA pill. Jeff, can you tell us the story behind this? Sure, Jim. But first, I want to make sure that we're all aware of what a receptor agonist is. A receptor agonist can be a drug that binds to a receptor on the cell surface. For example, on the cell's plasma membrane. This binding interaction between the agonist and the receptor then signals the cell to perform a given action. In this case, semaglutide selectively binds to and activates the GLP-1 receptors to stimulate insulin secretion in the pancreatic beta cells and reduce the release of glucagon in the pancreatic alpha cells. The stories of how we got from injectable GLP-1 receptor agonists to an oral GLP-1-RA is an exciting one because there are numerous factors that diminish the survival of peptides in the stomach. However, ribelsis has made oral administration of GLP-1-RAs possible. The semaglutide molecule in ribelsis is identical to the semaglutide molecule in the injectable formulation, which is 94% homologous to human GLP-1 and was designed to have a longer half-life of approximately one week versus the very short half-life of endogenous GLP-1 of around one to two minutes. Despite the longer half-life, oral peptide-based drugs are not easily absorbed. Oral peptide-based drugs have a very low oral bioavailability in the stomach because of enzymatic as well as acidic degradation and limited permeability of oral peptide-based drugs, such as GLP-1 receptor agonists across the gastromucosa, has been another significant challenge. In order to improve the bioavailability, semaglutide was co-formulated with salcoprosate sodium, also known as SNAC, an absorption enhancer, to achieve for the first time ever therapeutic bioavailability with the oral administration of a GLP-1 receptor agonist. So Jeff, why don't you tell us more about SNAC and how it enhances Rebelsis absorption? Uh, absolutely, Jim. See, SNAC is a small fatty acid derivative that facilitates stomach absorption of semaglutide. As the Rebelsis pill dissolves in the stomach, SNAC enables a transient increase in mucosal cell membrane permeability. Jim, it's kind of like a football game. You've got the running back, which is semaglutide, in the backfield, and a very strong defensive line, gastric lining. Snack is your offensive line. 
and helps the absorption of semaglutide through the cell following the concentration gradient so the drug can lower the patient's blood sugar by eventually locking onto the GLP-1 receptors. Thus, the agonism of GLP-1 is expressed. Pharmacologically, SNAC also raises the local pH, leading to protection from degradation as well as higher solubility of semaglutide. So these properties of SNAC allow for therapeutic bioavailability of oral semaglutide, which enable patients to receive an effective oral dose of fribelsis. I'd also like to point out that tablet proximity to the stomach mucosa is necessary for the absorption of ribelsis, and that SNAC facilitates the absorption of semaglutide within about 30 minutes of ingesting ribelsis. Also, the effect of SNAC in the epithelial cell membrane is concentration-dependent and transient. The effect is fully reversible, and any semaglutide not absorbed in the bloodstream is degraded by digestive enzymes within the stomach. Importantly, and SNAC is not an additional drug, is it? No, absolutely not, Jim. SNAC is considered an inactive ingredient in uh, ribelsis. The sole active ingredient is only semaglutide. SNAC has been labeled as, quote, generally recognized as safe by the U.S. FDA and has been used in the past in vitamin supplements. Thanks, Jeff. Understanding how ribelsis gets absorbed will help to underscore the importance of ribelsis administration instructions, which we will discuss in a bit. You mentioned that the half-life of semaglutide is approximately one week. How long does it take for ribelsis to reach maximum concentration in the bloodstream? It takes around an hour to reach a maximal concentration of ribelsis, and concentrations reach steady state in four to five weeks. The steady state refers to a dynamic equilibrium that is reached when semaglutide concentration is consistently within therapeutic range in the body. Thanks, Jeff. Curtis, how does ribelsis, the first and only oral GLP-1 receptor agonist, improve glycemic control in patients with type 2 diabetes? Well, thanks, Jim. Uh, ribelsis functions similar to the native GLP-1 hormone. It stimulates the secretion of insulin in a glucose-dependent manner. And what this means is that if the plasma glucose level is elevated, insulin will be secreted. Whereas if the plasma glucose is normal, insulin secretion will not occur. In turn, there's a suppression of glucagon secretion from the pancreas, which indirectly helps keep the liver from making extra glucose. Importantly, glucagon can still be released in the event of hypoglycemia. Rebelsis also delays gastric emptying from the stomach, which slows glucose absorption through the small intestines. So it is clear that rebelsis acts on different organ systems to help regulate glucose. Jeff, can you provide us with a high-level summary of the efficacy and safety of rebelsis? Gladly, Jim. Let's talk about a 26-week phase 3A trial that included 822 patients with type 2 diabetes on metformin and whose A1C was 7% to 10.5% inclusive. 
patients were excluded from the trial if they were treated with medications for diabetes or obesity within 90 days of screening other than metformin or a short-term insulin course, which was less than or equal to 14 days, had a history of pancreatitis, renal impairment, or proliferative retinopathy or maculopathy requiring acute treatment. LG patients were randomized to either ribelsis 14 milligrams once daily or giardians 25 milligrams once daily, both in combination with metformin. Patients assigned to ribelsis were initiated with 3 milligrams once daily dose for four weeks, and then the dose was escalated to 7 milligrams after an additional four weeks, and then finally to 14 milligrams. Patients assigned to Giardians were initiated at 10 milligrams once daily, and then escalated to the maintenance dose of 25 milligrams at week 8. For the primary endpoint, which was the change in A1C from baseline to week 26, ribelsis 14 milligrams demonstrated a superior reduction in A1C of 1.3% compared with 0.9% seen with Giardians 25 milligrams. I would also like to point out that while ribelsis is not indicated for weight loss, a secondary endpoint was mean change in body weight from baseline to week 26. Results from this trial showed a comparable mean change in body weight between ribelsis 14 milligrams with an 8.4 pound reduction and Giardians 25 milligrams with an 8.1 pound reduction. Let's also consider the safety of this study. The most frequently reported adverse reaction in this clinical trial that occurred in 5% or more ribelsis-treated patients were nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, and decreased appetite. Patients discontinuing ribelsis due to adverse reactions were 10.7%, and those discontinuing ribelsis specifically due to GI-related reactions were 8%. There have been common adverse reactions associated with the use of ribelsis seen in the pool of placebo-controlled trials. The most frequently reported adverse reaction for ribelsis were GI-related, including nausea, abdominal pain, diarrhea, decreased appetite, vomiting, and constipation. The majority of reports of nausea, vomiting, and or diarrhea occurred during dose escalation. For example, during the ribelsis 3 milligram initiation from 3 milligrams to 7 milligrams or 7 milligrams to 14 milligrams. Patients discontinuing ribelsis 7 milligrams and 14 milligrams due to GI adverse reactions were 4% and 8% respectively, compared to 1% for patients receiving placebo. Thanks for that, Jeff. To ensure that rebelsis works as intended, it's very important that rebelsis is dosed, administered, supplied, and stored properly. Curtis, can you go over the dosing schedule for rebelsis? Oh, absolutely, Jim. As we previously mentioned, Rebelsis is available in 3, 7, and 14 milligram tablets. It's important for both medical professionals and patients to know that 3 milligram dose is intended for treatment initiation for the first 30 days and it's not an approved dose for glycemic control. The gradual dose escalation for Rebelsis is intended to help patients adjust to therapy. 
After the first 30 days of 3 milligrams once daily, the Rebelsis dose should be increased to 7 milligrams once daily for our patients. This is the first maintenance dose. Anytime after 30 days of taking the 7 milligram dose, you can decide whether to stay at the 7 milligram dose or increase to 14 milligrams based on whether the patient requires additional glycemic control. You can explain to your patient that this dosing is like stepping up on stairs to get them where they need to be, which in this case is good glycemic control. If you find your patient does not meet goal after at least 30 days taking the seven milligram dose, that would be an appropriate time to increase them to 14 milligrams because that may be what they need in order to reach their goal. Everyone is different and therapy should be tailored specifically to individual patients. It should always include lifestyle modifications such as a healthy diet and physical activity. When starting rebelsis, how do you talk to your patients about dosing? You know what, Jim? This is one of the most important parts of successfully initiating ribelsis because you have to explain to them the, quote, rules of the road, unquote. These rules must be followed for the drug to work effectively. We want all of our patients to be treated to their glycemic targets successfully. Therefore, patients should be advised to take their ribelsis tablets upon waking on an empty stomach at least 30 minutes before breakfast with up to four ounces of water without taking any additional oral medications or food at that time. Now, I'm going to tell you something, Jim. The patients will challenge you every time you tell them this. They'll say, well, what about orange juice? Can I use orange juice with rebelsis? No. What about coffee? No. What about a Bloody Mary? Uh, no. The answer is always a firm no because the absorption of ribelsis has only been studied with plain water. So a simple water up to four ounces is okay, but no more than that. And you can't take any other oral medications at the same time you take ribelsis because those extra pills may actually dislodge ribelsis from its anchoring spot on the gastromucosa. And it's kind of like playing bumper cars. You don't want that. You want to make sure that the ribelsis delivers the semaglutide to and through the gastromucosa. Finally, Reassure the patient that the 3 milligram dose is simply transitional and designed to help them adjust to the medications. Patients may notice improvement in glycemic control beginning with the 7 milligram dose. I really like that approach. Curtis, what do you say to patients about storage and handling for rebelsis? Well, storage and handling is an important topic. We know that many patients like to set out their medications ahead of time, or put them in organizers or pill boxes. However, that is something that should not be done with rebelsis. The tablets need to stay in the original bottle until the patient is ready to take one. And this is to protect them from moisture. Why is that? Why is it so important to protect the rebelsis tablets from moisture? That's a really good question. Um, rebelsis is hydroscopic. In other words, it attracts moisture from the air. The packaging contains a desiccant in the bottle cap that protects the tablets from moisture, which can cause them to degrade and lose their efficacy. Keeping the rebelsis in the original bottle and storing it at room temperature, somewhere between 68 and 77 degrees Fahrenheit, as described in the prescribing information, will ensure the integrity and potency of the rebelsis that they are taking. So that's the story of storage and handling. Keep rebelsis in the original bottle. 
with the desiccant lid closed until you're ready to take it. Have other liquids been studied? What about taking it with coffee or juice or vitamins? If you recall earlier, we were discussing the snack technology and how it allows semaglutide to pass through the epithelial cells of the stomach and into the bloodstream. Tablet proximity to the stomach mucosa is really required for the absorption of rubelsis. So that's why it has to sit next to that stomach mucosa for at least 30 minutes. Taking it with food, other beverages, other than that four ounces of plain water we've already mentioned, or other oral medications will decrease its absorption and lessen the effect of rebelsis. Now, on the other hand, waiting longer than 30 minutes to eat may actually increase its absorption. Now, many of our patients are already taking drugs for diabetes or other comorbid conditions. What do we need to keep in mind when prescribing rebelsis to these patients? You know what, Jim, aside from adjusting the insulin or the sulfonylurea dose due to an increased risk of hypoglycemia when adding ribelsis, as I said before, it is important to consider the fact that ribelsis delays gastric emptying. This could potentially impact the absorption of other oral medications. In a drug interaction study, healthy that's healthy individuals taking 600 micrograms of levothyroxine with ribelsis in steady state showed increased exposure of the thyroid tablet by 33%. There is no recommendation to automatically change the dose of levothyroxine, but you may consider increased monitoring for patients taking any oral medication with a narrow therapeutic index, such as levothyroxine, to determine if dosage changes are appropriate. Most importantly, the prescriber must specifically inform the patient about the rules for taking ribelsis. Helping patients understand this medication must be taken in a specific way is important for ribelsis to work as planned to lower the blood sugar. Remember, the additional three milligram dose of ribelsis is simply transitional designed to help patients adjust to therapy and is not indicated to improve glycemic control. Now, patients often complain about how big some of their other oral tablets are, especially those that get larger with increasing doses. Does rebelsis get bigger as the dose increases from 3 to 7 to 14 milligrams? Well, that's a great question. No, rebelsis tablets do not get larger with increasing dose. All three of them are about the same size, and that is about one centimeter. Now, the other thing to remember, just in case you're trying to identify one of the medication pills for rebelsis, is that they are long oval tablets that are white to light yellow. Uh, they are debossed with the dose on one side, so that would be three, seven, or 14 milligrams. And on the other side, you're going to see Novo, N-O-V-O, printed on the tablet. And while we're talking about tablets, it's important to tell your patients that because rebelsis is actually a co-formulation of semaglutide with snack, the pill needs to be swallowed whole and not split, crushed, or chewed. There's also one last thing I'd like to point out. I think it's important for clinicians, pharmacists, and patients to know that taking two seven milligram rebelsis tablets to achieve a 14 milligram dose is never recommended. What if a dose is missed? What should we tell our patients under those circumstances? Well, if they miss a dose, 
they should just skip that dose because by that time, most of our patients would have eaten or taken another beverage and or other oral medications. So we tell the patient, let's just skip that dose and take the next dose the following day. Thanks, Curtis. That really helps us understand the importance of these instructions. What are some helpful tips pharmacists can give when a patient is first picking up their Rebelsis prescription? First and importantly, make sure they give the medicine that 30 minutes to work. We've talked about that several times. I, I talk about the fact that patients taking Rebelsis may experience GI side effects. And I walk through what the most common GI side effects are. If they're experiencing nausea, I give them some tips on how to deal with that, uh, such as making sure they're eating small meals. Uh, second, when they are full or when they feel fullness to stop eating. And also remember to eat slowly. Eating slowly allows that signal to go to the brain so that they feel satiety. And lastly, try not to eat high fat foods because especially at the beginning, because these high fat foods sometimes tend to increase nausea. That aligns quite nicely with many of the things that I also emphasize. And I think this sums it up quite well. As we mentioned earlier, when we were talking about safety information, nausea, vomiting, and or diarrhea are common side effects patients experience with rebelsis, especially when initiating or escalating the dose of rebelsis. Jeff, are there additional practical tips about taking rebelsis that you give your patients? Yeah, I think so, Jim, because some patients may find it helpful to establish a wake-up routine to help them to remember to take the ribelsis correctly. So I tell my patients to keep their ribelsis bottle and a glass of no more than four ounces of water on their nightstand. And when they wake up on an empty stomach, it's right there as a reminder to take. I also find it helpful to remind the patient when they take their ribelsis correctly, their glycemic control may improve and they may notice some weight reduction as well. Thank you. Now, Curtis, what can you tell us about dosing for specific populations, such as our patients older than 65, or those with hepatic or renal impairment? Well, to start with, dosage adjustments are not recommended for patients 65 years of age or older. While greater sensitivity among older individuals uh, really can't be ruled out, no differences in safety or efficacy were detected between these patients and younger patients. And dose adjustments are also not recommended for patients with hepatic or renal impairment. There was a study conducted among patients with varying degrees of hepatic impairment and found no clinically relevant change in semaglutide pharmacokinetics. And in patients with renal impairment, including end-stage renal disease, no clinically relevant change in semaglutide pharmacokinetics was detected either. I would like to mention again that there have been post-marking reports of acute kidney injury and worsening of chronic renal failure, especially in patients who have had GI side effects or dehydration. These events also included patients without underlying kidney impairment at baseline and may sometimes require hemodialysis. Monitor renal function when initiating or escalating doses of rebelsis in patients reporting severe GI side effects. Thanks. Now, before we end, let's take a moment to summarize what we talked about here today. 
It is important for clinicians and patients alike to be aware that the three milligram starting dose is intended only for a 30-day initiation period to help patients get used to the medication and then should be titrated up to seven milligrams, a therapeutic dose. We need to make sure that patients keep Revelsis in the original bottle to protect the tablets from moisture. And we need to ensure that our patients know that Revelsis should be taken on an empty stomach with only a sip of water, no more than four ounces, and that after they take it, they need to wait at least 30 minutes before eating or drinking anything else or taking any other oral medications. Thank you, Curtis and Jeff, for your time today and for joining me here today. For more information and to access the Rebelsis prescribing information, including boxed warning, please visit rebelsispro.com or see your Novo Nordisk representative. This concludes this episode of how to empower patients with type 2 diabetes knowledge and introduce a GLP-1 receptor agonist. I'm your host, Jim Gavin. Thank you for joining us today on the 411 on a GLP-1.